Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Well, welcome, everyone. I'm Vince Gennaro, the Associate Dean of the Preston Robert Tisch Institute of Global Sport at NYU School of Professional Studies. Uh, I'll be your host and moderator for the next hour as we discuss sport in the Middle East, promoting gender equality. I'd like to introduce our wonderful panel for this important discussion today. First, I'll start with Ronit Glassman. Uh, Ronit is the head of business development and marketing at the Israeli Football Association. She's been deeply involved in sports in Israel, especially football, for over 20 years, including working with UEFA. Ronit's various roles have encompassed strategic planning, sport for social impact, business development, and event management. And she's also quite active within Israel's vibrant innovation community as a mentor and consultant in this fertile area of Israeli sports startups. Uh, next, I'd like to uh, introduce Salma Al-Busaidi, who's a key member of the athletics department at NYU's Abu Dhabi campus. She's responsible for intercollegiate athletics, uh, as well as planning, organizing, and coordinating the Abu Dhabi Inter-University Sports League, which actually includes more than 1,000 student athletes. She's also responsible for cultivating external relations with sports federations and entities to create sports opportunities uh, for, uh, for student athletes. And she's formerly a professional basketball player in the UAE, and she currently coaches the NYU Abu Dhabi women's basketball team, striving to create opportunities for women's sports to grow in the region. And finally, we have with us today, Rob Harris. Rob covers global sports for one of the world's leading news organizations, the Associated Press, where he is global sports correspondent. He covers matters on the field and off the field, including political and financial issues across sports, such as the World Cup and Olympics. And he has a focus on soccer, including the buildup to the 2022 World Cup. As well as reporting on AP, he also appears regularly on broadcast outlets across the UK discussing sports news, and he's UK-based. Um, Ronit is based in Tel Aviv, and Salma is based right uh, there in, in Abu Dhabi. Um, I want to make a few comments and set the stage and provide a bit of context for today's discussion. Just first, very briefly, um, about my background. I head up the Tisch Institute for Global Sport at NYU, which consists of three degree programs, uh, graduate and undergraduate, both uh, about 450 students in total, total. And we are among the global leaders in sports business education. I also host a weekly radio show on Sirius XM on sports analytics, and I teach leadership in sports in our MS in Global Sport program. But perhaps even more relevant to today's program, early in my career, I was involved in women's sports. 40 years ago, when I was a young man in my 20s, I raised some capital and bought and led a franchise in the Women's Professional Basketball League. And that was only seven years after Title IX legislation was passed here in the U.S. The league was clearly ahead of its time and failed for lack of 
financial support. But nonetheless, the seeds were planted for what eventually became the WNBA, a league that has existed for over 20 years now. And in some ways, in some ways, the early days of women's professional basketball 40 years ago in the U.S. bear some resemblance to where women's sports is in the, uh, in the Middle East today. And by the way, when I say, uh, when we say Middle East, for the purposes of our discussion, we're really talking about the southern and eastern shores of the Mediterranean encompassing the Arabian Peninsula. Well, you know, given our panelists today, our discussion may skew a bit more towards the UAE and, and Israel perhaps, but will generally be relevant to the broader region. So we'll plan about a 45 minute discussion and then open it up for questions. As you're listening, please feel free to enter your questions into the Q&A function and we'll address those uh, during the Q&A. Um, so to get us started, women in women's sports are playing a growing role in promoting uh, equality and cooperation across business and society in the Middle East. Uh, from the grassroots level to the professional ranks, uh, sport is being used to break down barriers, unite people, and contribute to a, a tolerant, uh, more diverse society. So before we get into women's sports specifically, I want to ask Rob Harris, what are we seeing in terms of growth and evolution of sports in the Middle East in general? Yeah, good, good day to everyone. Hello, thanks for having me on here today. It's uh, great to join you. What we've seen is the growing importance of sport widely across the region, both in terms of participation and actually hosting events. In terms of hosting events, you see the significant importance to countries in terms of the prestige, the chance to perhaps tell a story about the country, to attract people to the country, and also the ability to ultimately improve things like the health of the nation as well. I mean, anecdotally, in some parts of the, the region, you know, you hear of uh, wanting to get people out of the cars uh, and actually getting exercise, getting fit and getting healthy. And then you also see how sports can be used to bring about change, whether that is the pressure an organisation like FIFA has put on Iran to get female fans into stadiums and indeed to accelerate the pace of wider change in society, whether it's someone like Qatar, which by hosting the World Cup, brought this intense scrutiny, which brought about significant labour changes in terms of particularly the migrant population and the conditions, which wouldn't have happened potentially without the World Cup going there. The wider issue, of course, is whether or not a country should be awarded a major event on the basis that it might lead to some change rather than have to have those things in society originally. And also, more generally around particularly this topic as well, growing female participation in sport widens the uh, prominence, widens and reduces the gender gap that can often exist in society as well. And there are all manner of other spin-off issues in terms of bringing about sponsorship revenue and commercial income as well and ensuring there's more of a, a parity there. But certainly, you know, what we have seen in the Middle East in particular is this drive to bring some of the major sports events to the country, even just today, an offer from Israel to maybe step in to try to host the men's Euro 2020, which is still called 2020, even though the 
postponed until this year uh, because of the progress with things like delivery of vaccinations, which might ensure it's in a better condition to host parts of a major event than the rest of Europe. Because elsewhere in the Middle East, we have now seen um, major football events already going there with the 2022 World Cup, the IAAF World Athletics Championships in Doha in 2019, the, um, the, the various attempts maybe to bring in Olympics as well to the region, which would obviously accelerate things to, to another level because um, we're now, we're still only, it was only 2012 that every delegation at the Olympics the first time did have uh, women as part of it in London 2012. Sorry, I just lost connection. I just got back. Sure. Let me repeat my question. So how would you describe the state of women's sports in the region today? Um, first, thank you, Vince, for the introduction. It's a great pleasure to uh, be here with all of you. Um, I, sports in the region now is still in the very developing, developing stage. It's a very developing stage uh, where we are beginning to start grassroots um, participation just just in this couple of first and second year first past two years um and it's also different from sports from a sport and a sport like for women's football it's a little bit more developed than let's say women's basketball and um, women's volleyball is more developed than women's basketball and it's different from sports but there is obviously much more support from the government much more support from the families from the past couple of Five to ten years. Yeah. Well, and we've seen um, quite a journey uh, in women's sports in the region over the last decade, really, I think, is, is probably the most progress has been made. And we'll, we'll get into that a little more uh, in just a few moments. Um, but, Ronit, from your vantage point in Israel and your involvement in international football, um, how would you characterize the changes we're seeing in women's sports today in, in the world that you live in? Well, uh, first of all, again, thank you. Thank you, Vince, and thank you uh, for the introduction and spotting some interesting views uh, over, uh, over women's football and generally. Um, well, I think that we are still in development level. Uh, maybe it could be much, a bit more advanced from, uh, from Salma's environment. But still, when I compare it to Europe, so I, we, have, we have still a lot of work to do. Um, it's not just a culture thing. I think it's also um, part of, of the infrastructures and, and um, the, the structure of, of the country and the religious, etc. cetera. Um, but I can, and I can see a, a, a massive um, process um, going through um, major, um, let's say, statements um, or developing grassroots level and trying to, to compete a bit elite levels. Um, this isn't the point of, the, of professional football, but, uh, but I can spot a light um, on, on the business perspective of women in sports industry. And here, I think we, we have a bit of lead because for example, in the IFA, in the Israeli Football Association, uh, we have like 20, between 20 to 25% uh, women uh, holding very high positioning 
in the Federation, which is quite unique, uh, I think. Uh, also in compared to Europe, I don't know in the States, but you know, uh, so it's, it's something that it's definitely unique to, I think, to the Israeli society in general, but also for our federation, which, uh, which both things uh, should lead for a major process in the future. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, you know, one of the questions I think that's uh, important to understand is in the evolution of women's sports, will it follow or will it lead cultural change? Um, and to what, you know, perhaps a little bit of each, but which is, which is more of the role you anticipate women's sports development playing as a trailblazer, as a pathfinder, as a lead uh, activity, or something that will eventually be brought along by cultural change and modernization, we'll call it. Anyone? Rob, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a wide area in terms of the cultural change it can bring about and, and you know, wider prominence in society. I mean, you, you know, you can see... Um, some more male-dominated societies in the region, and actually through sport, you 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 get athletes gaining headlines, gaining prominence, gaining that attention, and it brings a new light onto the country as well. There are new role models as well for so many in society. When um, you know you get athletes achieving success, uh, particularly at an Olympics, where some of the sports that might not get their usual prominence do so because they're suddenly um, thrust into the limelight as well. And 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 also, it, you know, it, there, there is that wider sort of educational sense as well. The fact that actually through sport you can educate and you can bring about that sort of connections um, across societies and, and actually interlink the region as well. It, it's a way of actually bringing countries together, particularly in in the Middle East, which can have its divisions, can have fractured moments. You know, if we have harmonious relations in terms of sports, that's a way of actually. Uh, bringing about and engineering, you know, the necessary change. I mean, it moves away from perhaps narratives we might have seen in the past when uh, and issues about, you know, the refusal of countries to play against each other, not showing flags on screens. And actually, it's often in a sporting moment that, um, you know, that these moments are, are magnified and sharpened and perhaps accelerate the changes. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, Rob, you've written recently about uh, the, the uh, recent incident in, in Qatar with the female uh, referee. And maybe you can just comment on that a moment. Yeah, this was a, an interesting episode that happened last Thursday. So the Club World Cup was being held in Qatar and the final took place. And in the medal ceremony after the game, as, as long as Bayern Munich collecting their trophy... The referees were also introduced to the line of dignitaries, including Qatari Sheikh, a Bayern Munich official, after speaking to the FIFA president, Gianni Infantino. And a video clip went round, which was showing um, various fist bumps between male participants, but not the um, female officials, the match referee who, who'd been at the tournament. And this led to a lot of um, comments being projected and assumed onto the incident on social media. So you saw uh, some 
obviously suggesting some grave insults, some sort of um, disrespect shown towards the officials, which as this moment spread, perhaps it's a, something that the Qatari um, government and officials weren't used to the way such an incident in their country can become magnified like that. That eventually after several days, the Qatari um, officials then put out a statement calling it a misunderstanding and very much distancing from why it took place and not suggesting there was any sort of instructions that there was not to be fist bumping. And then ultimately, even it extended into yesterday where the FIFA president Gianni Infantino put out a statement denouncing people, suggesting he might have, you know, he didn't allude to it directly, but was, he didn't mention it directly, but alluded to the online suggestions that he might have instructed the officials not to um, fist bump, to avoid contact, physical contact between the female officials and um, the Qatari Sheikh, but then also indeed the official from Bayern Munich. And what, what it showed was it's quite instructive as a moment, particularly as we approach the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, that there can be these perceptions of moments, there can be those um, using an instant and um, injecting an opinion on it and using it to foment perhaps cultural differences and also a lack of knowledge from around the world about those necessary cultural differences that are and will take place um, in, in a country. So, you know, whether it's also in Israel where you would not necessarily amongst the um, religious, um, a woman would not want to shake hands with another man. Um, and, and it's those things you actually have to be culturally aware of and often it can expose the ignorance of those outside the region as well when they're projecting an opinion on it. And perhaps we'll see it as well when we get a World Cup in Qatar, which is a mass participation event for fans, pandemic consuming. And, and in terms of the sensitivities, in terms of how you know boisterous perhaps fans from certain parts of the world engage with the local population too and being aware of sensitivities. And perhaps what this incident has shown is the fact that all round, there's a need for um, a need to communicate more and to discuss more and to you know for people to be aware um, and, and the way certain things like this can become pretty big in terms of social media. Yeah, you know, and in terms of um, illuminating the differences in cultures and in religions too, and, and that's an important point I think is that this is not just culture; it's it's religion as well. And of course, the two of those are intertwined, but culture presumably is a little bit more malleable um, and can be, you know, flexed a little more easily, not a lot, but a little more easily than religion. And, you know, Salma, this is a, an environment that you've performed in as, a, as a, a top elite athlete. Talk a little bit about this tension between religion, culture, and women's participation in, in the UAE? Um, there, was, there was a lot of challenges that I've faced and a lot of, I see a lot of girls are also facing. And now it can be in, and this is a league, which is more flexible environment, and it can be also at a, at a national level. Um, some of those challenges and obstacles that we face is families don't tend to take sports and women playing in sports seriously. Um, they think that sports won't take us anywhere, and I think that it's, maybe it's a man's game. Um, and also, like in terms of in, in terms of time, uh, where some if you want to play in a professional uh, league, you have to play every Friday a game, and th those games sometimes need you to 
travel for hours. Um, and then some families believe that their daughters um, have to be back home early, you know, around by 8 p.m. If you have a game in charge and you're traveling from Olympia, like the game's at 6, you can't make it, you know, at 8 p.m. Um, but with the, in the past couple of five, five years, I believe, I was talking to one of the uh, members, uh, committee member of Women's Football Committee, and uh, she's mentioned that it's becoming more, uh, more flexible. Um, since UAE is getting more diverse and a lot of cultures are integrating with each other, um, and they also see that there's lots of government support in women in playing sports, so they become more flexible and uh, they came to a point that some families are also uh, traveling abroad just to see their players playing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Ronit, um, your experience with women's football as part of the Israeli Football Association, where, where does the state of women's football today in Israel um, and uh, how is it progressing? What are what are the obstacles still? Uh, and where would you characterize it as being today? Well, as I mentioned before, I think that we are still in the early stage of development. Um, I think there are like eight teams in the in the league. Uh, they are playing um, in a let's say half professional because the players are still working in other uh, sectors uh, so it's not you know it's not like the Premier League or the men competition which is totally different um, in that perspective um, but uh, but I think in terms of awareness and the the sense of of importance that this sport uh, should be at in the society and and take place in the future we are um we had a huge um step forward in the past years so basically um you know there are much more discussions uh, about the rights of the players or the rights to play football i think the obstacles um it's more it's not just in terms of clash of cultures and religious that we have, you know, our, our society is very diverse. Um, and as uh, Rob mentioned, we have religious, ultra-religious people and the Arab that are also sectors that are ultra-religious. So basically it leaves you with like 60 or 70 percentage of the population just you know, in numbers, it's lower. Um, it's lower the numbers of participation, but um, but still, you know, in my sense, I'm I'm more. Um, I work more with the men competition. I must admit, um, in my role, but um, I feel that it's coming more and more uh, legitimate. So it's it's more on the table. Um, the press are more into reporting if it's incidents <laughs> that they love it, but uh, but also you know they are they getting more spot um, in the media. They're more interest in, in other stakeholders, the government that uh, that also supporting in in special initiatives to promote the women's uh, football in uh, in the past decade. So. It's really, it's really 
progressing still. You know, we have a lot of work. And, um, and again, I'm pointing the infrastructure and the lack of, of, of infrastructures also for men competition, actually. It's not, you know, it's a, it's a general problem. Um, so when you need to leave room also for, um, for women departments, it's, became, it's, it's, it's becoming more difficult. So, so this is, I think, the main obstacle to that today. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting point Renit makes as well there about um, the, the fact you, you're obviously saying you work mainly on men's competitions. Yeah. The fact that actually there shouldn't be that sort of necessary feeling, which sometimes is projected that actually, you know, it's for women to work on the women's competitions and actually it needs senior female officials involved in the men's competitions, in all competitions as well, to actually um, ensure there is that sort of you know, working across all all aspects of sport as, as well. And so everyone has the chance equally to rise to the top of sport. And, and having said that, I must say that I feel in the last five, six years that there is a huge uh, progress uh, in all terms, actually. Um, you see it at, uh, you know, the nomination of women referees in the competition. I myself are uh, playing a role of, uh, of a delegate, of a UEFA match delegate, mainly in in a men competition, it's quite new. It's, you know, for five years now. So basically, I, I feel that, that the governmental bodies um, really try and, and are working to, to make this place for other women to join into the industry. And this is super important. Yeah. Um, it seems that uh, for, women's <clears throat> for women's sports to truly progress, uh, there's a mix of the pull, the draw from the uh, role models and so forth at the professional and top level, uh, combined with the ability and access to participation at the youth level. Um, do you see, um, Salma, in, in the UAE, do you see uh, a strong emphasis on youth participation for, for women in sport? And is that sort of balancing what they are able to see as role models at the top? And wh where do you think there's the greatest need to, uh, to put resources? Um, in UAE, I think it's a combination, or I believe it's a combination of both. Um, I always say great grassroots are really great, but then how do you, how do you encourage children or your younger uh, female to play if there is no one? a role model that they can look up to. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, I think we're still in developing a level. Uh, we, we don't have much of role models. Um, just like, for example, coaches and, and administrators, there's not much, um, because again, grassroots, we, we did not start early. So players who are still playing, uh, don't want to give up coaching, uh, don't want to give up playing for coaching because they still feel that they haven't had enough time to play. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in terms of in um, in Israel, do you see a lot of participation at the youth level for women? In well, the, uh, it's getting much. You know, it's it's again, it's getting higher. Still, I think the block again is is infrastructure and the ability to to uh, create more um, accessibility for for grassroots level. 
um, as well as use. Uh, but um, but you see that there are more interests, you know, and 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 this is the process of development. Um, so and and also you know there are there are like uh, matrix that always work. Uh, extending the pyramid of of, of grassroots level will. Uh, deliver more professional players. It's it's in all genders. It's it doesn't you know it doesn't apply just for women, as well as creating big events, huge events after we know after you know World Cups like in Canada for example. There were uh, you know uh, immediately after we got more application of women uh, to to come on board. So so basically it's like um, a, a huge wheel of stakeholders that need to work together in order to to leverage uh, the interest. But definitely it's part of the change of society. Mm-hmm. And you ask if, if, if sports is leading or lead by. So I, uh, I definitely believe that sports leads any sports, actually. I can say it very clear on my association and also you can see it in the national team. We are very diverse. We have 25% of, from the Arab region. For four years, we have the first, you know, non-Jewish captain, uh, which is amazing. He's Muslim. He's part of, of the Israeli society. We represent the Israeli society. And I think we are the only sport. So definitely in women, we'll see we'll see the same in the coming years. Yeah, yeah. Do we have um, enough accomplished women coaches to support the high-level competition as well as uh, youth development? Are we, is, is the number of, are the number of qualified female coaches growing as well and mentors? Selma, what do you see in, yeah, the, really. in the UAE? Uh, we do not have lots of uh, qualified uh, coaches or mentors. Um, I'm talking about UAE national coaches. Um, we uh, we do have a coach, Tahrir uh, Tahri, she's a UAE football national uh, team coach, and me myself, I'm also from UAE. So um, I've, I still believe, like, in addition to Ronit, what she said, we started with a very small uh, grassroots uh, group, which is very hard and it takes more time for you to grow because as they grow older, it just becomes less part- it just becomes less and less people participate. But when we, when you have a very huge and big uh, base, uh, then you will have more participants and more coaches, more role models, uh, more administrators, uh, which all leads to a better structure, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, back in, as I referenced earlier, back in 1972 in the U.S., we had Title IX, and it made a dramatic difference and really jump-started women's sports. Is there a major catalyst uh, on the horizon for, for women's sports in the Middle East? Um, Rob, could it be the upcoming World Cup, even though it's not a women's World Cup? Could it, could it uh, have that kind of impact, or does there need to be something else? Well, of course, as we've just seen at the Club World Cup, if you do have participants like female referees or even female coaches, uh, that could also be a significant moment. Obviously, within the men's game at the moment, it's the coaching ranks are very dominated by men, although we saw that with refereeing until only just recently where we're finally getting um, female referees into growing positions um, of prominence. And also, it's a chance perhaps 
for countries like Qatar to tell their wider story. I mean, just seeing in the last few weeks, they've finally started a, a, a form of women's league. It's just, I think, five aside football, but it is about participation. I mean, it was... I think 2014 that I went to, to Qatar to check on the progress of the World Cup and I went to near the LaSalle area to see how the building of the, the stadium being used for the final was going. And um, I encountered some uh, girls playing cricket on a, uh, su- on a Saturday morning. So perhaps something quite unusual there, which is I wasn't expecting to find cricket uh, there, but also perhaps um, to find a young girls team, which shows actually how bringing up through the grassroots as well is starting to bring about the change. And actually, as you have a greater number of um, female athletes, then later you get the coaches coming through because they might move into become coaches and they can help to sort of raise the standards then of, um, of, of future athletes as well. But certainly it's all about how a country uses a moment in the spotlight. How, how does, say the Qatar World Cup, how is it harnessed by the rest of the region? And again, so much will depend on the progress of the peace, if you were to call it that, the thawing of tensions between the uh, the Gulf states at the moment and how much the World Cup can be delivering on its original aim of a country like Qatar, which is a sort of a Gulf, a Middle East World Cup, one that sort of brings cultures um, and, and the countries together. Yeah. Um, Roni, you had an, uh, a situation, uh, an event about 18 months ago where the Chelsea FC women's team came to Israel to play the Israeli national women's team. Did that event serve to be an accelerator in some ways for women's sport development? Was it able to be used in that fashion? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I must say that, you know, creating this event, um, you needed a lot, you, need, uh, you needed to be, um, you know, very pioneer initiative because um, it, it like didn't fit anyway. Uh, teams are not playing with the national team, uh, clubs are not playing in a national team level, even in not for friendlies. So basically we needed to reinvent it um, the meaning of that event and, and in this sense we call it a festival for society and at the end of it there was the, this uh, incredible match um, and I must say that internally we struggled a lot because we in one point we, we saw that it was a great opportunity uh, to promote women football in the country but on the other hand struggling the league and you know all this obstacles that we are having uh, on a daily basis created a real debate saying, do you want to invest so much money in such an event when you have poor, you know, uh, poor infrastructures or, or, or education or grassroots or whatever. And, um, and in the end, we decided to do it. Um, and it was an amazing four days. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I think that the big thing was the, the leadership that Chelsea and, and uh, from the owner, the, the president and, and other and Paula uh, that lead this process. But, uh, but it, I feel uh, that it was a great milestone in women football. And there is also great results afterwards because after that event that we filled the study with 10,000 people, which is super unique in, in, in Israel. Uh, it was the biggest 
sport, women's sport ever attended. Uh, but we created also a database that people uh, started to follow the national team, like two, three thousand people each match after that match. So this is a huge process. Um, I, it's, it went also for, you know, um, stakeholders, um, commercial uh, aspects. And uh, so it was like giving a huge state for stage, sorry, for something that was about to explode. Yeah. And, and, and it was, uh, I really feel that he made, uh, it made a, a huge process in the understanding that, that women football uh, should have a great place, you know, their place in the country. Yeah. And, you know, as you've said to me before, um, the re return on investment of these events comes in terms of empowerment and equality, in addition to hopefully some financial payback for the sponsors, the people who invest in it. But it really is about empowerment and equality. And these are long-term investments that aren't, shouldn't be expected to pay off immediately financially. Um, Salma, what about the opportunity for either the governments playing a role in advancing women's sports in the region or private corporate sponsors who would be inclined to provide women's sports a boost to subsidize infrastructure, equipment, fields, even places to play? Um, what, what's your feeling on that topic? And are you seeing some of this in the UAE? Um, there's there's limited resources that we are getting from the government. Um, in my opinion, uh, men's football is extremely popular in the region, and those limited resources, most of it goes to men's football. Um, even at the intercollegiate level, we battle against time and effort, speaking about men's football, where we try to um, point out that there is a lot of other uh, sports, and um, in addition to women's sports, and uh, women's football that is equally important to men's football. Um, going back to your question, there is um, there is uh, uh, support from the government. Um, there is, for example, in, in the region, of course, there is uh, the golf tournament, women ladies golf tournament. There is uh, Arabic Arab women Arab women sports tournament that takes place in Sharjah. Um, that's that's in a, in a in a professional level. There's also triathlon events and marathons that um, they invite women and men, top women and men, to to play in. Um, at a grassroots level, I see now that there's more opportunities where, and for example, in Hidayat Island, uh, there is a Women's Day uh, for using the track. So it's either cycling, running, or whatever sports you want to do. Um, and also Abu Dhabi Ladies Club, uh, they've started uh, trying to initiate or building up professional teams in Abu Dhabi that, that we lack. They started with the women's volleyball team uh, this year and they joined uh, the UAE uh, Women's League as well. Um, so there is opportunities and support that's coming up and emerging, but I think we need more and more encouragement between the lines. Yeah.
Absolutely. Um, and I want to remind everyone, um, we'll in just a, a couple of moments go to questions. So get your questions ready or put them in the Q&A. But I, I wanted to just bring up the, um, the Abraham Accords, which were recently signed. And uh, this speaks to greater cooperation between Israel and the UAE, uh, obviously encompassing both genders. What what might this do for women's sports? Uh, it has far-reaching impact beyond sports and beyond women's sports, but what might it do? Uh, anyone, Rob, uh, Ronit, uh, thoughts on that? Um, well, I, I can uh, represent, uh, you know, the football industry in Israel. So basically we, uh, we did um, uh, already an agreement with uh, with uh, our um, association, uh, both associations and um, and teams, uh, working team are assigned to to develop different challenge or challenge of uh, of development, uh, especially in youth tournaments, innovation. Um, business, refereeing, professional, etc. So, so we we see it in a, as a huge opportunity. But basically, also, uh, you know, in my private belief, uh, these nations are a bit similar in the DNA. So, mm. both of them are small country, very um, innovative one. You know, in the perspective. Uh, and, and I think that it could be something, uh, you know, that can leverage uh, amazingly both, both sides. So we are definitely in it. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, Rob, you were going to offer? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it could be the gradual progress towards um, allowing greater sports participation between the nations, because, of course, Israel has to participate, if you look in football, in Europe, it has to be part of the UEFA region because it can't play in the Asian Football Confederation due to the um, hostilities of, of some nations. Um, you know, in the long term, that could be something you never know that could be explored. It might help a country like Israel qualify for events like World Cups or more regional championships, which then um, improve the actual ability of players and the participation, you know. I've not yet. Maybe Israel prefers being part of UEFA, and also it can lead to investment. There has been uh, issues that, that the collapse of the UAE investment in Betar Jerusalem, but you know, going forward, there could be more um, synergies between sharing of investors or indeed practices uh, between various sports entities as well, which ultimately broadens horizons, raises standards, raises the the levels of funding available because it comes then back. To, comes back to Salma's point, which is then, is it encouraged for, for girls to start getting into sport? If Is it seen as a profession? Is the money there? Well, the more advanced and, and funded that sport becomes, then the more sponsors get involved, the more financing is there, and the more it becomes a, um, a you know a viable path. And ultimately, you hope things like the Abram Accords lead to an end of the sort of, what are the, um, you know, the petty issues in sport, as I alluded to earlier, where, you know, you can have participants in a sporting competition where flags aren't shown either in the venue or on television and there are refusals to, to you know for competitors to play against each other we 
you know, we saw in judo at the Rio 2016 Olympics with the Iranian um, judoko. So, you know, those are the things that you want to see eradicated um, and, and hopefully helps to sort of bring people together more broadly as well. And through sport, that's how uh, it can be achieved because it is the language of so many people. Yeah. Um, so you know, go ahead, I mean, and you know, sports bring people together. Absolutely. Um, it's a wonderful catalyst for that. Um, uh, it's the place where people who have very opposing views on politics, on religion, on culture can sit down side by side and share something in common, uh, whether it's participation or whether it's, um, you know, cheering for their favorite club. Uh, it's, it has a wonderful ability to, to create that impact and change. Um, I wanted to uh, shift to the Q and A, and I, um, I I see in our in our audience today we have uh, a Dr. Nilufar Rouhani. Um, she is a PhD from Deakin in Australia. I, uh, Dr. Rouhani, I actually read your entire dissertation last week in pref in preparation for today. So it's an honor to have you here with us today. You've written extensively uh, a women's sports participation in the UAE, a case study. Uh, you wrote this, uh, published it two years ago, three years ago now. Um, you asked the question, uh, female players uh, stress the fact that the role of media is vital to changing the discourse in society uh, regarding female sports participation. So, um, the UAE has done much to ensure female sports does get media exposure. What, um, what else can we do to ensure that the women athlete gains that exposure to help accelerate it and essentially validate it, legitimize it and promote it? Um, Rob, let me come to you first, being a member of the media. Yeah, I mean, there's an op yeah, there's a, you know, an obligation on the media to not be male dominated in sports coverage. It has been like that for far too long, where in many parts of the world, it is the male, the, the male sports that can dominate or, you know, the, the men's competitions and perhaps often only at Olympics, do you get more of a sort of towards gender equality. But then it's also about the stories being told. It's about the PRs, it's about the communications specialists and the countries themselves and the sports bodies to ensure that they are promoting women's sport when it does exist. I mean, even just, it was only me searching around that I happened to spot that uh, in Qatar, they started a women's football league that I mentioned earlier just a few weeks ago. That was, you know, something I wasn't aware of, something that in all the conversations that I might have with the country about, with Qatar, about build up to the World Cup, the recent Club World Cup, it's something that isn't mentioned. So that's where you see these stories can't be hidden. And actually it's about coming forward and also giving prominence to the um, athletes as well. And the more female athletes are written about and their competitions, the more the greater the prominence is and the more the public is aware of the names. So you see after something like the 2019 uh, FIFA Women's World Cup in France, the profile is raised, the TV audiences grow. Therefore, these names have more familiarity around the world, which means there's growing interest. People are more engaged, people are more tuned in. And then you also have that's the broadcasters, that's you know, the actual main rights holders of these events to actually start to, you know, to, to give more coverage in a way that they, they do have the platforms to do so and a professionalization of coverage. 
but also the way things are changing is things like self-streaming as well. So the actual sports bodies themselves, the whether it's the a National Olympic Committee or the individual sports, can push the sports out, the competition themselves, streaming it, if they are not getting the sort of wider, more mainstream coverage as well, just to sort of grow the, the, the awareness. But um, ultimately, you know, there is an obligation on the media to ensure that there is more gender equality in terms of the coverage of the sports and the issues. And with that, it also brings more scrutiny as well. So we saw at the FIFA World Cup in France in 2019, then there becomes more of a focus, actually, what is FIFA doing on each particular area? And it becomes that form of equal treatment as well. Actually, are they doing enough to promote the um, sport? Are they doing enough to sell tickets? What are they doing? Some of the, you know, the same questions that we've been familiar with over many events over the years too. Yeah. Um, I have a a question for, um, for both Salma and Ronit. What has been the most challenging about working as a high level professional in a male dominated field? Perhaps Ronit, you could host a whole seminar on this topic perhaps, right? And I'm sure Salma could as well. Um, Salma, why don't we start with you and then go to Ronit on this topic? Um, it's very challenging to uh, to to point out or views or have or change the perspective of um, of let's say committees and federations and and um, at decision making level, for example, in Edisal and in HSF, we only have uh, one female who who is in the committee, and it's not enough. I think we should have more female at decision making level. Uh, just to balance this perspective, and that would make us have less challenges in in a male dominant uh, field. Mm. Yeah, Ronit. Um, no, I was laughing because in every single panel or a, a lecture that I do, this is one of the most famous uh, questions. questions. Yeah. So. Um, on on the governmental level, governmental body level, level I think that um, um, let's say saving place in the executive committee or other uh, other rules uh, roles, sorry, uh, in the industry is crucial. Uh, just just to push people to go in. Uh, I I must say that in my career I was uh, privileged because I didn't felt, you know, I, I've never been blocked because I'm a woman or I didn't felt, you know, like something was um, challenging me more because of my gender. Uh, still, as I'm 20, 25 years in football, I, I, I see a huge process in that. So I, I can assure you that 20 years ago when I came to the room and I presented the business uh, development uh, strategic plan, usually uh, people were, were asking, you know, uh, we are talking to, to the owner of the company, uh, a man, actually. So, and it was really funny to me. But you need, I think, you know, seriously, uh, we need to get the room, but but uh, but the responsibility is in the women's itself. They want to be part of it, and being part of it, it's tough. 
And that's fine because in the business environment, it's tough anyway. You know, I just, I just uh, last week, I heard uh, that uh, in Israel, for example, in 2020, 32% of, of uh, uh, sorry, women are, um, the salary of women are less than 32% from uh, same position in, in the men, you know, men holding the same position, mm. which is crazy. So, so, you know, just spotting the sport, I think sport, again, could lead uh, the change for that. Um, because it's everywhere. Yeah, you're right. It is everywhere. And uh, yeah. hopefully sport can't have an impact. I have a question for you, Selma, which is, could you expand more about if there's any plans for building and developing uh the grassroots participation for girls is is there any hostility from the population or the parents or from men players to inhibit that uh, development um I, I would say there's a lot of support now from uh, men players or um parents for uh, females to to uh, to uh to play sports but at the grassroots levels up to now with the players are just playing in schools. Uh, there's a couple of women's teams that start the age of under 14 and under, under 16. Uh, for example, women's uh, football, they started their first um, under 14, under 16 league just last year in the UAE. Um, and I believe that grassroots is, we just need to get women to play. And it's very important to have that safe culture sensitivity environment for them to start playing that is convenient and that is nearby, let's say nearby their house, culturally appropriate, and that have, they have that community that that is embedded in it. Um, I think that that's very important. And imagine if we have that around the city, uh, that would be great. We'd have more uh, students participation. I mean, more women at a younger age participate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to make this distinction between um, you know, there's levels of resistance, then there's uh, passive support, and then there's active support. And they tend to sort of follow a continuum, right? And, uh, you know, we see with a lot of social issues here in the U.S., we've gotten to a point where there is, you know, passive support, and we've had passive support for years. So oftentimes, it really takes active, aggressive support to to make a difference it's not just enough to clear the way because and and let down the resistance because the whole infrastructure the whole system is structured to keeping people in different places right so until you get to active support where someone up here is pushing this person up to be equal it, you don't always make prog the progress you want to make i i just just throw that in parenthetically. But um, another question is, how do we ensure um, sustainability of this, of this effort? And do you see uh, Title IX being implemented in the MENA region? Is that something that would, would make sense? And do you see any support for that? I'll ask Salma that question. Okay, can you repeat that question, sorry? Yeah, do you, yeah it was not clear. So yeah, do you see something like uh, Title IX 
uh, being, which is Title IX, which which allows for equal funding for female athletics in intercollegiate setting uh, in the U.S. Do you see anything like that uh, coming into play in uh, in in the UAE or in the Arab states? Uh, well, I, I hope so. Um, until now, I, I don't see that uh, coming, um, but I'm trying to be more positive about it here is uh, it, it, it is becoming better. So uh, let's say, for example, for, for me, when I was playing basketball, um, the last two years, uh, my, uh, my pay became a little bit closer to the men's pay. Um, but that's in basketball. I, let, I mean, in the women's uh, football, uh, let's say in the women's national team, they still don't get play, paid for playing in the national team. They just get play, paid when they win games or tie games. Um, and I think equal pay is really important um, as well as having uh, sports as a profession here in UAE. Uh, uh, that would also, like, we can't get asked for equal pay if sports here in UAE for women is not a profession, you know, um, that, because that would require the girls to, and the girl, girls and female players to put more effort in, in playing and uh, to spend more time in practicing and playing that other than having uh, another job uh, where they spend most of the day from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then just play for two hours, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I hope to see that coming. Good. Um, a, a question for, for Ronit. Um, as a football association worker, do you think there are issues that prevent the football association from increasing the number of uh, football players, especially when we speak about women? Um, yeah, well, uh, I said we, we are facing, I think that the major problem that we are facing is lack of infrastructures and pitches so so it's definitely you know it's like it's stopping all the chain even if you want to grow it's you know it's it's limited sometimes in clubs in youth clubs and and the biggest club they are training they are splitting in half the 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 pitches and they are training three three teams together so combine and this is this is a limitation that really affect women football for example because they are just try, uh, trying to start and grow and they don't have a place so definitely i would point that issue as the major issue of uh, of growing the participant mm, yeah Here's another question. As mentioned earlier, changes related to culture is more, are more flexible than changes related to religion. And people are more willing to accept the changes related to culture when it comes from the higher leadership and some influential figures. How much um, are leaders investing to move change forward and what additionally would you like to see from those leaders to help support and accelerate the change and development of women's sport? Well, I, I want to, um, we can get a great example from Mr. Roman Abramovich, for example, which is super supportive to women football. Um, it's, it's amazing to see. And then, you know, you engage a lot 
a lot of more. I, I saw in the event, for example, there were massive, um, um, massive uh, engagement from from all stakeholders, uh, stakeholders to drop in because you know they wanted to be part of of this leadership. So basically, this is a great example. Um, but it's crucial that that strong leaders will push it over. And I think also if I can see, you know, if I consider the, the, the Israel Football Association that plays in so much uh, roles uh, in, in major points for women's or, or UEFA, for example, or FIFA, that gives, again, sports for women in men competition and trying to divest uh, the competition uh, themselves. So basically, um, I think this is the, the, the first step, you know. Then you can allocate more resources uh, in terms of human or, or budget or whatever. But, uh, but we need these pioneers. Media, media is, is, is a crucial role in, uh, in promoting, you know, diversity and, and gender. Mm. So, um, one uh, final question, because we're nearing the end of our time, um, is what can men do to support women in the field of sport? Um, I'd like to hear really from each of you on this topic. Um, men sit in a position of power, um, reality, it's just the reality of it. And so what do they need to do to really support the equality of women and their participation levels in sport? Um, anyone like to weigh in first, Rob? Yeah, I think one of the key things can actually be ensuring that women are seen as the forefront of, of decisions in sport. And it's something we don't see very often, whether it's something like FIFA. FIFA does have a female general secretary for the first time, Fatma Samora. But she rarely has a platform. She's already given a platform, it seems, by FIFA to talk about the job that she is involved with or some of the big decisions um, that she's taking. Uh, it's not through the media wants of trying. I mean, even things like uh, when press conferences are held, it will be the men who are front and centre. Um, so that's where it begins as well. So, you know, around the world whether it's a female player or a coach, they're actually seeing at the top that um, the game is not just run by men. Um, again, in, in, in football and soccer, it's the laws of the game are mostly set by men. The, the, you know, the laws that everyone has to follow, the, the handball or, or offside. So, you know, so that is one key area. And then also it's the, um, you know, the obligation on particularly sports clubs, like you mentioned, Chelsea are doing, which is to invest in the women's side, to promote the women's side. But it's not just about having, say, a women's team. It's about ensuring that they have access to um, the uh, facilities and the coaching that's required. I mean, in Europe, there's more of a sort of debate in terms of the, the equal pay discussion in the US, which obviously has come to the fore because the US women's team is far more successful than the men's in, in soccer. Whereas, you know, you do talk to some players across in European soccer and they recognize there's a sort of a journey to actually grow the revenue. But if you look at a country like England, there's a good reason why. Because for 50 years, women's football was banned, which is just seems 
ridiculous now. And so women's football was held back and put up a disadvantage. So it's why it needs that extra boost, the investment to actually um, bring up, raise the standards, raise the prominence as well. But yeah, ultimately, it's about ensuring that there's the investment coming in for coaching, for facilities, and for expertise to ensure standards can be raised, which ultimately leads to a, you know, the right money coming in, the sponsorship being attracted as well, and ultimately winning things and being successful as well, and, 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 a, and, a, and a greater array of countries um, participating, whichever sport, to ensure the competitive field is um, significant, which makes it a uh, desirable or even more so for broadcasters as well and for the media to to focus on the, the sporting contests and the battles. Well, th thank you for that uh, that thoughtful response to the question. I, I think it uh, rings quite true uh, to me as well. And um, let me ask Ronit and then Salma for their thoughts on this topic of what men can do. Well, I think Rob mentioned, um, you know, the, mo the most important things actually um you know making place for for women to to lead on professional level uh, again investing in infrastructure and and, uh, and athletes um i say I, I want to just you know mention the women responsibility you know um our responsibility is being professional and wanting to be part of this industry. And when we apply, we need to be, um, you know, we need to skip the feminist uh, perspective. We, um, we need to be part of the industry in a professional level and in an equal level. And when, when we'll stop talking about, you know, I, I always say now it's the time to talk about it. So our next generation would not uh, talk about it. Right. It will be so common that it won't be a topic and we'll have other issues to deal. But I agree that this is the time that both genders needs to have responsibility of making, you know, these moves and, and, uh, and, and given place uh, for for women to get in, but we have the responsibility to get you know to go in and to reduce you know everything that is not professional. It's not on the table. And even you know even if I take uh, women football for example, we always say yeah we don't get the same as men competition. We don't. We are not the same. It's okay, we have the same rules, it's football, that's nice, but when I, when I analyze a women football, for example, as a marketing director, I will uh, engage totally other uh, stakeholders, audience, you know, it's, it's, it's different and it's good. Mm -hmm. So this is my perspective. Yeah. Um, Selma, your your thoughts on this topic? Um, I think Rob and Renita have covered, uh, as I said, most important uh, things. Uh, but I would also like to add, uh, we should also change the programs and the wording of programs rather than uh, having the men's program and women's program, having this, the football program, the basketball program, uh, not work separately. And that would also change when we have more women's voices uh, in a decision-making level. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Um, we're at the end of our time. Um, thank you so much to this wonderful panel. Thank you to Ronit, to Rob, and to Selma for this, uh, I think, really productive discussion to hopefully draw people into this dialogue and discussion about the importance of women's sports in the region and to help accelerate its development. Uh, I want to thank uh, NYU Abu Dhabi, uh, and in particular, uh, Peter Diche, who has been instrumental in this panel happening. Uh, I'd like to thank the NYU School of Professional Studies and right from our own Tisch Institute for Global Sport, Lee Eagle, who has also been very instrumental in this. And uh, also the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute uh, with Anne Morning and Sharon Bergman, who have been uh, uh, certainly an inspiration for this panel today. So thanks to everyone. Um, we're glad you could join us and hopefully you enjoyed uh, hearing our discussion today. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website, www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.